The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I once had someone try to convince me that this Gospel lesson is a lesson about tithing, a lesson about giving 10% back to God. And at first glance, it kind of makes sense. At least the math adds up. There were ten lepers, and one of them returned to give thanks. It's a straight tithe, one-tenth. But if you look more closely at it, you quickly realize that that's not it at all. This is not a lesson about tithing. It can't be, because Jesus is actually pretty unsatisfied, unsatisfied with one-tenth. What does he say? Where are the other nine? I want all of them. I want all of them back. If this is a lesson about tithing, turns out we've been doing the math wrong all along. I don't think it's a lesson about tithing. And I also don't think that it's a lesson about good manners, which is often how it also appears to us. I don't think it's a lesson about good manners. It's not a lesson to remind us to say our pleases and our thank yous, like raising up a child. You know what that's like. As soon as someone reminds you to say thank you when you're a kid, everyone knows that what comes next is mostly about politeness and not really about gratitude. Of course, the goal in teaching good manners should be to train a grateful heart. But it often isn't, and often the thank you is just empty words. And occasionally the words are even difficult to hear, so maybe you've heard it like this. Son, say thank you to your grandmother. She couldn't hear you, you need to speak up. Come on now, we're not going to leave until you say thank you. Thank you. We heard a few weeks about, about lip service when Cain was offering sacrifices to God that were not from a thankful heart. And that's exactly what that kind of a thank you is. It's lip service. Meanwhile, a heart is saying something far different. Something like, you're welcome. Or maybe nothing at all. That's what a lesson in good manners can produce. It can produce lip service. Done properly, it can be a good start. But it's good to learn obedience from your folks. That's not yet gratitude. It's not yet gratitude. Just simply saying thank you. Whatever it was that was going on with those nine ungrateful lepers, it's clear. It's clear that the Samaritan leper was not just exercising his good manners. He wasn't simply more polite than the rest of the lepers. And he wasn't just offering back to God a tithe. He came back praising God with his whole heart, his whole soul, strength, and mind. He had a thankful heart, a heart of faith that believed that Jesus was the God who saves 
that he had saved him. In fact, that's what the words at the end of the lesson really say. We kind of get a bad translation in our English Standard Version. It says, go your way. Your faith not has made you well. Your faith has saved you. This leper has been saved. And because he sees that, because he recognizes it, he cannot help but be grateful and express his gratitude in worship. The other nine, however, well, there was no worship from them, at least no worship of Jesus. Maybe they praised God with hallelujahs as they went their way, but they quickly forgot about Jesus, it seems. The nine got what they needed, what they wanted, more than they asked for and certainly more than they deserved, and they went on their way. And who could blame them? All they ever wanted as lepers was to get back to normal life, to return home to their families and friends, to get back to work, to the things that they loved. They wanted mercy. They wanted healing. Why? So they could go home. And who could blame them? But they missed something key about what Jesus was doing, something that we heard at the very beginning of our gospel lesson. Maybe this seemed like a throwaway detail, but this is really important. It begins like this. On the way to Jerusalem, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus ran into these lepers. That's shorthand for saying that he was on his way to die. The path to Jerusalem for Jesus was a path to the cross. He was on his way to be crucified for the sins of the world, to heal people just like those lepers, not simply from the sickness in their flesh, but from the sickness in their hearts. He was on his way to Jerusalem to give them a new life because their old life, the life to which they wanted to return, that old life was beset by sin and guilt and decay and death. He wanted them to live, not to go home to die. Those nine lepers are the kind of people who are interested in Jesus for the perks, but aren't interested in a relationship with him. I think it's very easy to hear echoes of this kind of thinking, the thinking of those lepers, and the temptations that we all experience when it comes to church. We're all tempted in our flesh not to come to church. I'll come to church when I really need something, when it's convenient for me, when it looks good. But in the end, I'm really just interested in getting on with life. Church is just sort of one sort of a stepping stone to get back to normal life. I'll come to church when I'm retired. That's one I've heard before. When I'm retired, when I'm not so busy. I'll come to church when my schedule isn't so crazy, when the kids are off school and there's stuff to do on the weekends, I can't really fit it in. I'll come to church, but not when I'm on vacation. Isn't that what vacation is supposed to be, after all? A break from your obligations, a break from work and school and church, a break from Jesus, it seems. Doesn't he want me to be happy and enjoy my life? I'll come to church when it's perfectly safe, when there's no risk, when we don't have to wear these uncomfortable masks. Whatever it was that was going on with those nine ungrateful lepers, that Samaritan leper who returned was having none of it. He returned aware of what he had received with a grateful heart, praising God. He returned simply to be with Jesus. He knew that there was nothing that his normal life could offer him, nothing that the life he had lived before could give him that could ever compare, could ever hold a candle the mere presence of Jesus. He knew that there was nothing more important for him than being near Jesus. Of course, he could have just praised God in his heart and even with his mouth as he went on his way back to his old life. He could have written Jesus a thank you note, but he recognized something to which we all ought to pay very close attention. 
For the one who has received grace and mercy from God through Christ Jesus, there is no other place to be than with Jesus. That's what Sunday mornings are all about, being with Jesus. That's how we ought to think about what's happening in church on a Sunday morning. Jesus is here in a way that is unique to the public worship of the church. Jesus says to you, all week long, I will be with you. I will be with you in the words that I have put into your hearts and on your lips and by my spirit. And once a week, when the church gathers, I'll be there in my flesh and blood, in all the believers who are a part of my body, in the sound of proclamation, of hearing God's word, in the sound of preaching from a pulpit, in the sacraments and the forgiveness of sins. Once a week, I'll be there in a unique way for you. Your whole life ought to be a life of worship in private communion with God, praising and thanking God in your heart and with your words and your actions. But there are parts of worship that you cannot have except in the fellowship with others, as a body, as Christ's body, in fact. That's what you are as you sit here in this sanctuary. You are Christ's body. You cannot have communion privately, the Lord's Supper. You cannot have it on your own. That defies the meaning of the word communion, to have something in common with others. Your Lord bids you to take and eat with the church for the forgiveness of your sins. He has this precious gift and he wants to give it to you, and here it is in this place. You cannot stir one another up to love and good works without gathering together, hearing God's word proclaimed and preached together as a body, confessing together, praying together, singing together, worshiping together. Worship is not simply downloading information. You're not a machine looking for a software upgrade on a Sunday morning. You're a person, a member of the body of Christ, meant to worship together in unity. Think about how strange it is. Think about how strange it is. Maybe you have paid attention to the news. I haven't been following sports news at all <laughs> since COVID struck, but maybe you've noticed how strange it is that football games are now happening, as baseball has been happening, with nobody in the stands, no fans in the stands. There is a way in which fans are participants in the game, not playing, not putting on their, uh, their gear and their padding, but they're participating in a way. And that's missing right now from the NFL. Yes, the game can happen without fans there, but it's, it's just not the same, is it? They can pipe in the sound of fans cheering, but everybody knows that those sounds are fake. Just as it's not the same simply to look at the stats afterwards. Yes, you could know the outcome of a game just by looking at the stats afterwards, but it's not the same as watching the game, and it's not the same as being there. You could just as well say, why bother watching the game at all? I can look at the box score and find out what happened. In fact, why bother looking at the stats at all? I can get to the end of the season and see who won the Super Bowl, and there you know. I, I know exactly what I need to know. I needn't bother with watching the whole season. I'll find out who won, and that's enough for me. Or think about how it would be for a child, how a child would feel if he asked his dad to come and watch his ball game, and his dad said, why would I do that? I can look up the results later and your mom can tell me about it afterwards. How would a kid feel if his dad answered that? Long story short, it's very obvious to us that there is no substitute, no substitute for being there, no substitute for your presence. Participation in worship as the body of Christ is not a direct analogy to sitting in the stands at an NFL game or watching a Little League game. It's not merely about hurt feelings or about some psychological experience that you'd be missing out on. But these are good analogies in this way. They remind you that you're not a machine. It's not simply about the data. It's not about the information. It's not simply about the outcome. You're a person 
whose presence matters. Worship is not simply about downloading information. Getting the Cliff's notes on a sermon is not the same as being here and listening to it, being here in worship together. Worship is participation in the life of a body. It's a life of receiving things from God sacramentally together. It's a life of giving thanks and praise to God sacrificially together. Yes, you can do those things on your own, but it's not the same. That's why it wasn't just weird, it wasn't just strange to be here in this pulpit preaching to an empty sanctuary while we were closed down during COVID. It was very strange, to be sure. It took some getting used to. But it wasn't just a strange experience. In fact, it was something very different from the public worship of the church. That's why it was something that could only ever have been temporary, because in a very real sense, as long as we were not here worshiping together in the sanctuary, we were not the church. Unless the church is worshiping together, it is not the church. The grateful Samaritan in our gospel lesson could have just praised God in his heart and with his mouth as he went back to his old life. He could have written Jesus a thank you note, but he recognized something to which we all ought to pay very close attention. For the one who has received grace and mercy from God through Christ Jesus, for you and for me, there is no other place to be than with Jesus. I want to read you just a little bit from the epistle to the Hebrews, from Hebrews chapter 10, where the writer to the Hebrews talks about the precious treasure of worship, of falling down at the feet of Jesus like that Samaritan leper, falling down at the feet of Jesus in faith, having been made holy by his blood, confident in his goodness, desiring to be with him and to receive all good things from him as his body, the church. Here's what it says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, which means that you can be here in this place, in the presence of Jesus, only because his blood has covered all your sins. Otherwise, being in the presence of God is dangerous. But you've been forgiven, you've been washed, you've been made clean, and so you can be here with confidence, knowing that he is here for you, for your good, because he loves you. He loved you by opening up for you a new and living way through the curtain. Speaking of the curtain of the temple, which separated the people from God, that curtain has been torn in two by the death of Jesus on the cross. He opened that way through his flesh, offering a sacrifice on the cross for you. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, a priest who offers a perfect sacrifice so that you have nothing to fear, so that you can be sure that you have a God who loves you and will always do good for you, since we have all of that, let us draw near with a true heart. You heard that at the beginning of the service. We quote from Hebrews chapter 10 at the beginning of the service. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what we do at the beginning of the service. When we begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and we confess our sins, we are taking you back to that baptism where God washed you clean, sprinkled you, with water and gave you a pure conscience. Let us always draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean. Let us hold fast, he goes on, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And as we do that, he says this, let us consider, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day is surely 
drawing near. And we, as the church of God, as the body of Christ, need to be together, worshiping together as that day draws near. Our lives are the lives of those lepers. Receiving a miracle from the hand of our Lord, it's a miracle that opens a door as we are revived and given a new life by the forgiveness of sins. All of those lepers received the same gift, but only one received it with faith. Only one trusted that there is salvation in Christ and him alone. Only one believed that there is no place to be except with Jesus. The same goes for you. For you and for me who have been given grace and mercy from God through Jesus Christ, there is no other place for us to be than with him, than in his presence. With that in mind, let these words, the words of our intuit, be always on our hearts and minds as our prayer. Let this be our petition as we praise God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the house of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Let our, let our hearts and our souls always long, always long for the courts of the Lord. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.